What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, it's a really important question. And I wonder if you want your life to make a difference and to, to matter and for there to be... Um, I'm wary of using the word success, but for you to achieve things that you'd hoped that you would have achieved. There are people who you've kind of seen and looked at and ad- admired, if you're a Christian, and thought, I, what I want to be is like what they are when I grow up. I bet most of those people were people who prayed. And if you are a Christian and you want to make a difference, if you want your life to count, if you want to see things uh, go in your life successfully, you need to be a person of prayer. You need to be someone who seeks God and meets with God. Because the great news is God wants to meet with you. He wants to seek you. He wants to find you and speak to you. He wants to answer your prayers. And more importantly, he wants to get to know you and for you to get to know him and for you to love him more. We are looking at this, uh, in our current series, a man called Nehemiah. He was a man of action. He did a load of great things. His life had some incredible success in it, and it all came from the fact that he was a man of prayer. And so today we're going to look at the first two times that he prays, because I really believe that God wants to teach us how to pray, and for all of us to be a people of prayer. And that sense of what Chris said, of what do you want to be when you grow up? You may have been a Christian for decades, and you're like, yes, I know, I'd like to pray, I'd like to pray more. Uh, You might not even be a Christian just yet, and you're like, wow, I can be heard by God. You might be starting on early in your life, and you're like, well, how do I become one of those people who I admired? Well, the answer is by taking steps. The answer is by learning how to become a person of prayer. And today is an opportunity for you to do that. So what a great way to start by praying uh, that might happen. Why don't we do that? Lord God, we thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you so much. Your love, Lord, we've just, we're aware of it. We're aware of it in the room by your Holy Spirit. We're aware of it by the reality of your son, Jesus, his life and death and resurrection and ascension. We're aware, God, that you act and you choose to act through people and you love to involve people. And you want us not just to do things, but to be people who know you and love you. And you've given us this gift of prayer. So we ask you today, wherever we're at, that you would help us to become people who pray. Amen. Amen. If you are not familiar with this story, uh, it's near the end of the Old Testament, and God's people have been thrown out of the land that he had given them because of their consistent unfaithfulness to him. After a time, he allowed them to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild what had been ruined and destroyed. Some of them did this, but they faced serious opposition. Nehemiah was one of the people of God, but he had not returned. He had a really important job in the empire that now ruled that land. He was living hundreds of miles away. He knew some people had gone back. And it was, because you know, there was no social media uh, for him to follow, there was no WhatsApp group for him to be a part of, you know, hashtag rebuilding Jerusalem or anything like that. There wasn't that. So he just like, oh, it must be going really well. But then... One day he heard that that wasn't the case. And that's where his story starts. And that's what we're going to read about today. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants, who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? Well, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you asking? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is God's word. So we're told about two types of praying here. One type involves weeping and fasting and lots of words and lots of time. And the other lasts as long as it takes Nehemiah to draw his breath in before he replies to the king. God loves both of these kinds of prayer. And I want us to be people who use both of these kinds of prayer. And so we're going to look at them today. And I've called them big praying and little praying. But they are both really praying big. There are lots of other kinds of prayer as well, and uh, in the notes for small groups that will be in the news email on Tuesday, which you can get if you go to the Connect desk afterwards, there will be a load of other resources there about other types of prayer uh, that might help and inspire you as well. We're going to look at these two today. We're going to start with big praying. As we've seen, Nehemiah's big praying starts with news that provokes a massive emotional reaction in him. So he says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. One of the questions when we're thinking about what should I pray, you know, how should I pray and what should I pray, one of the answers to that question is, well, you should pray about things that matter to you. The people that you know 
and that you love. You should, you should pray for them. The situations that you're in, where you're studying, where you're working, where you're living, your local neighborhood, and also the, the, the region or the, or the nation that you're in. The church that you're part of. These are things that should matter to you. And then there'll be other things that particularly matter to, to you as an individual that the people sitting next to you might think, yeah, that is a good thing, but I, I, it doesn't stir my heart in the way it clearly stirs your heart. Maybe it's the persecuted church. Maybe it's climate change. Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's caring for those in need. Maybe it's something else that you can't believe I haven't mentioned. It's so important. But it's on your heart, and it matters to you. These are the kind of things that we should look to pray about. Because for Nehemiah, there's such a sense of shame about what's happening, his response includes weeping and mourning and fasting. Fasting means usually going without food uh, or something else in order to devote time uh, to praying and to say to God that we are so desperate that he answers our prayers, that we will go without all these other things, that he might please answer our prayer. And again, there's resources about that in the small group notes. But this emotional reaction, I think, is really interesting. God does not call his people to be fine about things. That may be how you want to answer someone you don't know when they ask you how you're doing at church, but that isn't how God wants Nehemiah to be about this news, and it isn't how he wants us to be about um, the situations we find ourselves in. The Bible says there is a time to weep. There is a time to mourn. And with some griefs, that is all the response that is required. But Nehemiah sees this situation as requiring action as well. He can and should do something about it. And so the first thing he does is pray. That is where he starts. And this order is so important. It's so important that before we start making plans, we pray. And it can be really hard to maintain when life is happening really fast, isn't it? Because suddenly you've got to make a decision. And you're like, I'd love to have prayed about this for a while. And it hasn't happened. And I've got to decide right now. I think one of the ways we can preempt this is by peeing people who pray already. So that if there is a sudden decision that comes up, you're ready. And we're going to look at that later on. It means that those little prayers, like Nehemiah prayed later, are full of faith. Because you have already been seeking God. You have already been listening to him. You've already been calling on him. Nehemiah tells us that he continued fasting and praying. Later in the prayer itself, he mentions uh, that he has been praying day and night. Paul told the Thessalonian church to pray without ceasing. Does that mean that Nehemiah did literally nothing else? Or that we should? Well, I don't think so, because Nehemiah had a job. And he had a job for people who really, really weren't following God. So he he, he clearly didn't spend literally every second of every day praying. But one of the other exiles who also worked in this empire, Daniel, we're told about Daniel that he prayed three times a day. And Christians throughout history have observed that when you put set times to pray in during the day, it creates a praying attitude and atmosphere in you that then fills the rest of the day. So that emotional connection, that thing that makes you start praying about something, is wonderful and powerful and significant. And it's great to start praying, but that will not keep you going. But disciplines and rhythms can help you to keep going, to keep praying. So for me, I try and make my uh, Bible reading and prayer uh, time the first thing I do in the morning. Hopefully, as for anyone else is awake, anything else is going on in the house, it is certainly before I've looked at my phone. 
I really like the way that an Australian pastor and writer, Mark Sayers, puts it. He says, you want to win the day where you're set on what the Holy Spirit wants for you that day, not what the algorithm wants for you. So when you read God's word and you listen to his spirit and you pray, that is what you are doing. You are winning the day. It's not that everything else is then going to go really well and smoothly necessarily, but God has prepared your heart and got you ready. I do use my phone later on as an alarm to remind me at lunchtime uh, to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. And then in the evening, I reflect, I journal with um, thankfulness, uh, focusing on thankfulness. And those are times of prayer in uh, my day. Uh, Deb and I are trying to help our kids to learn rhythms of that um, at the moment as well. So we have a story from the children's Bible at breakfast time. Uh, We say grace at dinner, which is the, the same grace every day. But then we invite them when they're going to bed to pray prayers of things that they're thankful for that day and for people, to pray for people as well. And again, it's creating a structure so that we can then take moments at other points during the day. And uh, if if you're a parent and you're thinking, that sounds interesting, I'd like to know more about that, the Parenting for Faith course is really helpful on this. And particularly about grabbing those other moments that that structure can help provide. So where and when and how... Can you put times of prayer into your daily life? Just in case you weren't clear, it's hard. It's hard. You're going to have to move some other things. You're going to have to maybe stop doing some other things or reduce them. um, Because what you are trying to do is you are creating space for God to speak to you. And for you to speak with him. And that requires other things to be pushed out of the way. It won't just happen. But it is vital. At King's, as you've heard, uh, we do prayer weeks because we want to hear God together. We want to gather and and help one another pray, actually. I feel like a load of the things I've learned about prayer, I have learned by being around other people who know more about praying than I do and listening to their prayers and, and, and actually imitating them and growing into those kind of prayers. Um, so as I said, we've got two evening meetings this week, we've got two morning meetings this week, and then we've got a party evening this week as well. It's not at all confusing, is it? We're just trying to find different times and different spaces that might work for different people. We want to kind of gather in. We'll be praying for different things at those different meetings. We also do regular Friday morning uh, prayer meetings that happen every week, kind of throughout the year pretty much. There's one for guys and one for girls. Again, there's information about that in the news email. So Nehemiah is praying a lot. That's partly why I'm calling this big praying. He's praying a lot. But what does he actually pray about? I wonder how you respond when something big suddenly happens, when some shocking news or uh, something upsets you or something happens that you know you need to take action for. That's what happened to Nehemiah. It was really awful news. He was really upset about it. And he also knew that because he had access to the king, who was the only person who could allow the rebuilding to start, he knew that he had something to do. How would you respond in that moment? What would be the first thing you pray? Well, here's how Nehemiah starts praying. He says, oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He starts with God. That's where he goes. He talks about, or he he reminds himself that he's praying to the God of Israel. So the Lord in capital letters is Yahweh. That is the God of Israel. It's not the God of Persia. It's not the God of other places in the world. It's the God of of Nehemiah's people. And he's not just a, a local deity. He's the God of heaven. 
He's the ruler of all. Even this mighty empire that Nehemiah is living in, Nehemiah says, yeah, it's big, it's strong, but God is way bigger. And God is more powerful. He's great and awesome. And not just is God great and awesome and mighty and powerful, but he loves. He is loving and he loves his people and he is faithful to them even when they're not faithful to him. Jesus taught us to do the same thing. Jesus, when he taught us how to pray in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven. That's where we start. Why is this the right way to start? And why is this not just a technique? It's the right way to start because of all the benefits we get from praying. Our relationship with God is by far the most important. So we start by focusing on him, by 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 beginning conversation with him, by looking to him. It's also really important because actually I think if we don't focus on him first, we will panic, we will become pragmatic or passive. Our prayers will not be prayers, they will be panics or something else. I don't know, I've experienced this a lot. I don't know if you have, I'm faced with a situation, maybe it's something new and I don't know what to do about it, or maybe it's something I've been praying about for years and it's still no change. And you're like, what? Oh, no. And I feel like my spirit sag as I start to pray about it. I'm like, oh, I guess, okay, all right. And then I switch my attention to God. And it's almost as if I've kind of forgotten about him. And so I start to remind my soul of who he is. And I start to talk with him about who he is. And as I pray about him, my faith grows. Suddenly I'm seeing things as they actually are. Although it may be a really big situation, there is a much bigger God. It's, it's way beyond my comprehension. That's fine. The, he's not the smartest person in the universe. He is the source of all knowledge. And he's listening and wanting to help and wanting to speak to me. He begins to loom larger in my thinking than the situation does. It isn't necessarily that the situation has shrunk. It's just that I've seen that God is far, far greater. Maybe I'll take something that I read in the Bible that day. It's why I tend to do Bible reading before praying, because I need to see him and be reminded of him. I will thank him for what I've read, what I've seen about him that's true. I'll, I'll think of times where that has been true in my life or other times in the Bible or in church history that I might know about where God has acted in the way that I've seen. And I'll say, God, you are like this. This is who you are. Will you please be like this again? My faith is growing as I do that. That tends to me, uh, for me to be a, a very loud way of praying. Uh, I'm encouraged in that way. It gets my heart uh, going and, and I'm crying out to him. Other times I might more quietly meditate on, on his word. Something I've seen, I'm just letting the words just go round and round and round my head or there's a picture or an image of the scene or something about him and I'm just, I'm focusing on that and I'm I'm kind of letting it permeate my mind and my thinking and my, and my praying. I will probably pray in tongues at this point, which is a, a language the Spirit gives us, the Bible says, to strengthen us. And I need strength to pray. And God wants to give me that. So that is why we want to start in the right place. Now, what Nehemiah does in this prayer is he's interceding. He is putting himself between God and the exiles. And he's representing their cause to God. And he's asking that God would act um, on their behalf. But he goes further than this. He associates himself fully with what's happened, even though he wasn't directly involved. He says, he doesn't say they've been awful. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you. Have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He was a sinner. 
He had done things wrong. He needed to confess those to God. Now, you and I aren't directly responsible for most of the evils in this world, as far as I'm aware of. But we are responsible for our sin. And that can sometimes include being part of the problem. And so our prayer times need to involve confession and repentance, saying to God what we have done wrong and turning away from it. I found it really helpful uh, as I kind of thought this through a bit and this was a few months ago, to, to identify a few sins that I know I'm particularly tempted by, that particularly come up, and you might, <laughs> just for a fun conversation with someone you know, you might want to ask them <laughs> what, they, what you think those might be. Like, what do you think I'm particularly prone to? That might help you if you don't know them for yourselves. And I kind of, I'll have a number of them, and I'll deal with each one a day through the week. And I'm just like, God, have I been like this recently? I find it really helpful rather than just being like vaguely sorry. When we confess that we've done wrong, we can ask for mercy, as Nehemiah did. And we can know in a far greater way than even Nehemiah did that God will answer those prayers. Those, when we're saying, God, I'm so sorry, how's that going to be resolved? Well, we know that Jesus has died for those sins and that he has been raised to new life for our justification, the Bible says, our being made right in God's eyes. And that he actually, Jesus, is interceding for us right now. And Jesus taught us to do this. Again, in the prayer he taught us, he said, repent for what you've done wrong. And, and he will forgive us. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nehemiah goes on. He quotes God's word back to him. He said, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So this is taken from the book of Deuteronomy. Nehemiah knew God's word and he knew what God had said and what people had said to God as well. Your prayers don't have to be original. It's really important somehow that we just share our heart with God, that we pour out to him how we're feeling. But there's sometimes a risk with that, that if that's all we do, we don't get necessarily all that God wants us to pray about. And praying prayers from the Bible can really help us to do this because they, they take us on a journey of learning how to respond to God. Now, we're obviously in a slightly different situation to Nehemiah. So he was praying about the exile. God had said this would happen to Moses. It was right there in the Bible for him. But there are promises in God's word which we can apply to our situations because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't need to read the Bible and be like, oh, that's just so long ago and so far away and life's different now. No, God's the same. So there are, you know, there isn't a direct explanation for the pandemic or for your unemployment or for your friend's sickness or those kind of things. Those things aren't explained in the Bible, but there are principles and promises in God's word that he wants you to take from there and pray to him. I was praying recently with a family and one of them is very, very ill. What do we do when we're faced with something massive like that? Just some of our best thoughts, like, There's no way that's going to work, is there? Well, God's given us his word for these moments. So the person who was ill, I prayed the the priestly blessing from number six for them, that the Lord bless you and keep you, that the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, and that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I prayed that, and I could go into more depth in what some of those words and phrases mean with him if I want, but I know that is God's will for that person. 
And then for their family who are coping with it, I prayed a blessing from Psalm 20, which says things like this, May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. I just, that's, I, I just think that's better than something I could come up with. And it's God's word. And I have a, a note on my phone that has a load of these kind of biblical blessings just there for me, because I'm not going to remember where all of them are, nor are you. So in that moment, I was like, okay, well, yeah, that is, that's what I want to pray for these people right now. The other thing that Nehemiah reminds himself and God of are the things that God has done in the past. So not just what God has said, but what God has done. It says, they are your servants, your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. That language of being redeemed by God's great power and his strong hand, that's Exodus language. That's what Moses and the people of Israel sang when God brought them out of Egypt and destroyed all of their enemies. That's them saying, God, you have done this before. Nehemiah saying, you have rescued us before. You can rescue us again. Please, God, won't you do it? Remember, if you belong to Jesus, this story is your story. You can connect to it and ask God to continue to act as he's revealed himself in it. Nehemiah makes that connection. You and I can make that connection. And then finally, he makes a practical request. And that's when we're like, oh, yeah, that's how we pray. He's done all that other stuff first. And again, he's a highly practical guy. He isn't just a dreamer who's happy to say, well, who knows. He's a really practical guy, but he does not make practical requests until he's got his heart right, until he's confessed, until he's prayed promises and, and, uh, and precedent. And then he says, give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man meaning the king, the most powerful man on earth, by the way, has just become this man. That's what happens when we pray to our great God. Jesus taught us, pray specifically. Here are some things to pray for. He gave us that. We should. But don't let that dominate your prayer and don't start with it. God's got other things he wants us to do first so that we can pray to him. One more thing about this big praying. We're told that Nehemiah started praying this way in the month of Kislev. That's November, December time in our calendar. And then the conversation that he has with the king... That happens in the month of Nisan. That's March, April. So he was praying about this day and night for four months. And then he was allowed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. And do you know how long that took? 52 days to rebuild the walls of a city. You're like, how? That sounds crazy. Why? Was that, why did that happen so quickly? Because most of the hard work had already been done. Nehemiah had done it. Let's learn to pray with this kind of determination and power. I know that we all live with unanswered prayer, but God is encouraging us today to not lose faith in what he can do. We need to, we need to hurry on. And so I'm just going to say a little thing about little praying. This little prayer, the king says to Nehemiah, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah has a moment. It is a moment to, to respond. It's the moment like when someone says to you, so what do you believe about God? Or it's the moment someone says to you, um, hey, why don't we do this thing? And you know it's the wrong thing. It's the moment someone says to you that they've, they've got an injury or an illness or, or something like that. It's that moment when you know you're in a moment. It's, it's an important moment. Nehemiah doesn't say, I just need to go back to my house and pray for a while. He doesn't say that. He can't say that. This is the moment. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, And I said to the king, this prayer to the God of heaven lasts as long as it takes him to go, and then it's there. But he's ready for it. 
It's ready for it. It's it's like a moment of ignition that all those other weeks and months of prayer were like piling up the dynamite, piling up the dynamite, getting the moment ready. The king says, what do you want? And Nehemiah goes, Lord, now. And So they're profoundly related. If you're just praying in the moment all the time, it's hard not to just become very reactionary and not confident in what you're praying. But Nehemiah has done both. And so we can pray, God, help. That's a great prayer. God, now what? God, please. There's more that we could say about that. But God hears both prayers. You don't qualify your little prayer by doing lots of big praying. But God wants to meet with you. He wants you to have met with him to know him, to love him, to have wrestled with him, to have won things. So that then in that moment, you're in that new room, you're with that familiar person with that same old problem, or whatever it is. God help, and he's ready to. Let's be people who pray in the moment we've been given. Let's become a people of prayer. Let's set aside times of concentrated, focused praying. Prayer events like we're doing this week. Daily rhythms which help us to be those who persevere and gain what God wants to give to us. Let's also be ready at a moment's notice, under our breath if necessary, to ask God to act. And as we do this, we will become a people who increasingly pray continuously. And therefore will become a people who see God's kingdom come.